Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide to the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for Frontlines, tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, join me and Daniel Yang on Frontlines. The Frontline program seeks to encourage and equip pastors and planners to better understand and navigate the current and future trends in church ministry. Each episode invites thought leaders and advanced practitioners in ministry to inform and inspire pastors and planners as they continue what they do on the field. Hey, Exponential, welcome back to Frontlines. This is our show about leadership, church planning, and innovation. And I'm joined here today with Daniel Yang. He is the director of the Send Institute and my partner in crime. In today's topic, we're going to be talking about leadership development and support raising. It's kind of like uh, Michael Cheshire said a, a few years back. He said, oh, church planners and money, hard to get them in the same room. But we got two guys that are here with us today. They represent Reliant, and you're going to learn a little bit more about this. But this is not an infomercial. It's not a. It's not an ad. These are two real people. We're going to talk about real issues, the financial barriers in church planning, and we're going to tell a few of our stories along the way. Um, but anyways, I want to introduce to you the two guests, which is C.J. White and Tyler Ballou. And uh, C.J., tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Peyton. Uh, yeah, so um, my journey through church planting is I, I went into a church plant residency and first started raising support there about six years ago uh, and did a residency down at Austin Stone Community Church in Texas. So that's where I am now in East Texas in Longview um, with my wife and kids. So I have a wife, Kelly. We've been married almost 17 years and two kiddos. It's uh, hard to believe now every time I have to introduce them that we almost have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. So my daughter and I is almost 13, feels like 25. And uh, my son, mm-hmm. my son Reef, uh, he's 10 years old and just loves sports and we get after uh, anything uh, with the ball. So, um, yeah, so we're in East Texas. We planted out here at uh, New City Church. We're a part of planting that about three years ago, uh, almost four years ago now. And, uh, yeah, so we were we've been support raised all along as we stepped into that process and uh, race support through Reliant. I'm now excited as I'm now stepped down from the church plant and just with Reliant, leading out our program team that we really serve church planters and nonprofit ministries that are needing to raise support and mobilize support-based missionaries. I'm just so excited to continue to walk with planters and, and train and equip on uh, this piece of support raising, which is, it's interesting. I don't know about you guys, but my journey into support raising was, hey, just go get a bunch of money until you're self-sustained and it'll be okay. Uh, instead of, hey, I think one, the Lord's going to do a lot more work in my own heart through it uh, and build a foundation of trust in Him, uh, as well as there's so much more He's doing through support raising and building partnership. And so I'm, ex- I'm really passionate about this and excited about what the Lord's doing through support raising. So, yeah, that's a little bit about us. All right, Tyler. How about yeah. you, man? Tell us a little. I mean, you've got a cool last name. You already uh, <laughs> let me know this is like Baloo, and you're going to talk about those bare necessities today. That's right. Yeah, but that's uh, right. tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Peyton. Thanks, Daniel, for having us. Um, yeah, so uh, my name's Tyler uh, in the Houston, Texas area. So, yes, same state, but very different uh, areas that CJ and I live and uh, are raising our families. Uh, my wife and I, have, uh, Jessica, been married for about six years, um, which has been awesome. My wife um, and her uh, her family immigrated here from South India. My wife was born and raised here, so I've just been so uh, amazed at and learning just what that's been like to be a part of that that community. Um, in fact, we planted a church a few years ago in that community here in wow. Houston area, um, and then just recently, God moved us through some pretty awesome circumstances of having twin boys uh, who are now eight months old away from our church plant and into a more service oriented type role of serving church planters and pastors in the kingdom. And so um, get to do that through Reliant. I'm on CJ's team, um, helping him develop different ways for us to serve planters, just like us, how we were 
um, uh, you know, just in that position, that life. And then I also do some uh, work with Houston Church Plant Network, um, project okay. managing different church planters who are starting to plant in the city for gospel saturation. So, yeah, pumped to be here and talk awesome. to you guys. Yeah, we're big big fans of uh, HCPN, so that's that's a really cool connection. But hey, I want to I want to start off our time asking a, a, a fun question. But honestly, the real question I want to ask is between East Texas and Houston. I just want to know how you guys voted last week, but. <laughs> We're not gonna. We're not gonna get into that. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good way to start. We should just start with that. I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some uh, some really interesting connections. Houston's such a, a great city, and um, uh, you're talking about your your wife's from uh, is is South Asian. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yep. Just you know, obviously last week, a lot of South Asians and African Americans were celebrating the, oh, yeah. the election. Um, and CJ, I mean, I, I joke about East Texas, but one of my my biggest mentors, we've had him on the show bob roberts uh he's he's been on the show with peyton and i and he's from he's from east texas out in tyler uh, um actually not tyler um uh, linda uh linda Elm. so yep uh so it's just amazing to see what god's done uh, keith green spent uh time out there leonard ravenhill i mean just amazing legacy out of east texas yeah. so uh, it's not the nazareth of of texas as many people think but uh, <laughs> or maybe it is maybe it is a nazareth well, it's interesting for me because i'm from the west coast i grew up in arizona went to college in california so it's uh, my wife is from here too so that's what brought me to brought me gotcha here. Gotcha. Well, I want to let, uh, you know, our, our viewers know that, uh, you know, we're not just talking with, you know, guys who work for an, uh, a mission organization, but we're all church planters at heart. We're all involved in church planting. And I, I, I thought it might be a great way to just start and get to know each other, get to know you by sharing stories of what are those God moment stories where he showed up in a, a huge way specifically financially we're gonna we're gonna dig into what you guys are doing in terms of work and ministry but i just you know those moments were like if if god didn't show up you don't know if you can do this and every church planner has a story like that I'll, I'll start out Peyton go next and then we'll make our way around to cj and tyler but i remember when i was raising funds back in 2007 2008 uh, as a church planter, and uh, I made a trip out to Chicago, and I was uh, approaching a pastor that I really revere and respected, and wanted to model a lot of my ministry after him. And but that morning, I woke up, got in the Word, and really felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, "You know, don't ask him for funds, but pastor the pastor, shepherd the shepherd." And uh, which was kind of it was it was difficult for me because I made the I made the trek from at the time I was in Dallas to Chicago to ask for some money right and uh, but the lord really put on my heart that morning to just shepherd the shepherd pastor the pastor and so we had coffee uh, at a coffee shop uh, nearby his church building and uh, sure enough i mean he was just uh, open with the season of life he was in and uh and i i he was talking about how he was getting close to quitting and his his ministry really became like a model for me in the way that i wanted to plant at the time uh, in in uh, downtown toronto long story short Sure. Uh, in the midst of praying for him, uh, I got a phone call. My phone actually rung right in the middle of our time of, of, of ministry and prayer. And it was uh, from a, um, an associate uh, in Dallas. And he said, hey, I know that you're uh, on the road. I know that you're probably busy right now, but I just, I just want to let you know, I just wired you $20,000 and I uh, just wanted to let you know that. And as a guy, I never asked for money. I mean, I don't think we even wow. talked about like what uh, what we were doing with this guy. But it was it was in that moment. I remember uh, thinking to myself in that moment, like this is how things are going to happen, and this is how things are going to work. And um, I was so grateful that that's that was what started my church planning journey because it really taught me how to apply faith early on. So that that's been my my God moment. What about you, Peyton? Well, um, you know, I think for me, um, you know, when, when I look at my ministry career, I, you know, there's kind of like, I guess for some guys, there's like a career, career ladder. For me, it's like shoots and ladders. There was a career shoot for me, right? I, I went the other way. I started off as a young guy in my 20s, leading a mega church and, you know, just had a realization that I need to leave all this and go to the mission field. And so I ended up at Martin Lloyd-Jones' church, and that was great. You know, I was able to set up a 501c3 in uh, 99 uh, that, that's been going strong ever since. But when 9-11 hit, 
I was, you know, working as the evangelist at Lloyd-Jones' church, helping them plant out their first church ever. And 9-11 rocked the economy here and statistically giving shrink by 50%. So I got that phone call from my mission board going, hey, we have bad news. Well, that ended up being my great news because after being there as an evangelist for a year with no fruit, I ended up suddenly working in the community. And it was a rough place. I mean, I've got a scar right here from getting beat up six weeks, you know, a guy pounding my head and put, knock me unconscious. It, it was a rough place. I mean, it was the uh, Dockside Presbyterian church was um, uh, affectionately known as Sandfield. So it was where I was ministering and um, it was just a rough place. Why well, I, I went to work in the factory and, you know, within a, a matter of weeks, um, three people had come to faith and I was doing all the hardcore evangelism. I mean, the stuff that nobody wants to do. Open airs, dinners with rugby players that would share their testimony. Um, I, you know, I, I do door to door. Like I did all the gnarly stuff, right? I'd go out with a, a film crew on Friday nights. None of that had any fruit, but that started me on a trajectory of really just working in a factory, a firefighter. I had my RN degree, um, you know, barista started a, 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 a church in a Starbucks. Uh, that, that was probably the funnest one. Um, there, there were just so many stories that if I had not been bivocational, literally um, out of ever since 1998 till now, what is that? 22 years. Um, there've been two years where I have, uh, been supported since then full-time by a church. And, and both of those were churches that I planted. And that's it out of those 22 years. And I wouldn't have it any, any other way, to be honest. But uh, between raising support and working bivocationally um, and, and sometimes getting paid from the church, that, that was comfortable for me to have this mix that was kind of like you, you had a scale, you know, where sometimes the mission dictated you worked with their hands more. Other times the, the mission dictated you received more support, depending on what, what I was trying to do. So that um, bad news was my God moment. That phone call was probably one of the most pivotal moments of my uh, missionary life. And I still thank God for it, that what most ministers are afraid of is the day that the money runs out it actually turns out to be your, your greatest blessing in many ways. So sorry, that was, Let's a go to you. that was a sermon. I started preaching it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I was waiting for you to give the invitation, man. That was great. I see your hand in the back there. Leave your comment pass, in the chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pass the plate now. Pass the plate. So what about you, CJ? Uh, yeah, no, Peyton, I, I love that. And uh, man, our church actually met in a, coffee shop here, um, actually in Longview. And, uh, but I love that story and, um, yeah, kind of uh, just support raising as a whole. It's so interesting when I look back on our life and how the Lord really used our life leading us into ministry. Um, I did actually got my bachelor's degree in commercial advertising. I was a photographer for 10 years, uh, for architecture stuff before we stepped into ministry. And, um, we'd been through so much suffering, many different avenues of suffering that the Lord brought us through with my wife's health and some other things. And so as we stepped into support raising, uh, if you asked me if I trusted God, I would have gone, oh, absolutely, right? Like we can trust the Lord. Uh, but support raising always taught me, uh, there's another foundation uh, that we can go here. And um, I think one moment that was real pivotal for me was, it was about a year into our church plant and we were about... We, we were making it. We were completely support raised outside of our group we were ministering to and, and um, as we were planting the church. And I was probably about 80% support raised. Uh, we were getting these checks just randomly every month, though, coming in of people. Here's a one-time gift on top of what's happening, and we're making it. But I remember we were coming up, and it was December, and uh, we were coming up to where we were going to be about 1500 short a month. And so we're going, and this was 1500 just from making it like paying bills, getting food. And we're praying and through end of the year giving and things, we're just praying. And I remember asking the Lord, just pray, Hey, I don't know why 5,000 keeps coming to my mind. So we were just praying 5,000 would get us to March when we were going to possibly get some, some more funds to, to um, provide for us. And so we were just praying that. And I just kind of had the sense, okay, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to keep going. We, we started meeting with people and inviting them in. Um, and I remember uh, another person within our church uh, was like, hey, I don't even know how the church is going to make it this month, let alone for your salary, like really panicking. Uh, and then my wife at the same time is going, how are we going to like 
nothing's coming in all of December. I remember it reaches right before Christmas, nothing had come in. Um, we're still praying. Okay. I'm like, God, I just, I feel like you're going to do this kind of just getting a sense like, okay. Uh, it was December 31st and it was a Sunday. I get done uh, preaching. We get home and I check our account to see if anything came in at like four o'clock, nothing came in. And I'm like, okay. I, you know, I just still praying. Uh, my mom was visiting and we're talking and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go check again at like six o'clock. Cause it has to be in by seven on the 31st within that two hours three people gave, hopped on, two gave $500 gifts, and one person that I hadn't talked to in about four or five months gave a $4,000 gift. We got 5000 on the head. I'm like, now, not in prosperity or anything like that, but I'm like, God, I just see that you're caring for your mission and you're providing. Like, let me continue to go forth in the midst of everyone else feeling like this isn't worth it or whatever. Um, and that just catapulted of like, no, we, we, we're going to be faithful and we're utterly dependent on you, no matter what that looks like when we're going to move forward. So that was a, that's always a wild moment that I just look back and go, okay, I, I see you and, and we're, we'll keep taking steps. And so. That's great. Yeah, that's how about, cool. how about you, Tyler? Yeah. Uh, mine, uh, mine is, mine is an interesting one. So, I was in the same training class, I guess you could say, with CJ, both at the Austin Stone Community Church and then through Reliant uh, when we started our support raising journey. So I was pretty pumped, ready to go, like had a lot of like appointments, you know, set up for when we got back to Austin um, from our time in Orlando uh, during training. And I sat down with someone who's uh, from our initial community. And I, you know, gave them, gave them the presentation. I was like, Hey, this is what, this is what we're doing. This is who I am, which, you know, you know, I've been your MC leader for some time and this is why we're planting and why we want to do this and who we're going to reach. And Hey, would you join our team at one of these amounts? Um, and uh, he was like, yeah, I can join your, your team. I can join your team at about $5 a month. Um, and at first I was like, uh, there is absolutely no way <laughs> that I'm going to reach this massive goal that I just, received that, you know, I, that we need for a church plan. If this is how this goes, $5 a month, $5 a month, $5 a month. So I didn't realize this was a God moment until about like five years later, um, when I was packing up our connections table at our church plant here in Houston. So, you know, years have gone by, we've planted our church, we're gathering regularly. We have our, um, we have our connection table set up and I'm helping break it down and I look and I see the copy of uh, The Reason for God by Tim Keller that we give out to our first time guests. And um, we had gone through like a couple boxes of it at that point. And I looked and I, it hit me. I, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit is the one who brought this to my mind. But immediately $5 came into my mind <laughs> and $5 multiplied by 12 by five equals $300. And I was thinking about it. I was like, man, this partner of ours literally paid for all of these books to go to first time guests, skeptics, believers who have might not have, um, you know, felt connected to the Lord for a long time, um, or just non-believers in general got copies of this. And, you know, I don't have a story of like someone came to faith with that necessarily other than, you know, I trust God's word that says if the seeds planted, you know, he'll, he'll watch it grow. And so just really cool to see that, you know, I think a lot of times church planters can feel, the weight and burden of I got to get big dollar amounts to invest, but it's like hey, this, this faithful brother in Christ invested $5 a month for five years. And that, that went somewhere. And in God's economy, who knows what that's going to, you know, actually bring forth as far as fruit goes. So that's, that's my God moment. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited to jump in today to this whole idea. Like this is this is kind of my passion in church planning is getting people back to a biblical model of something. And, you know, that's part of our title today is a biblical funding model for support raising. And that intrigues me because whenever somebody talks about a biblical model, we know that that's kind of a moving target, right? Like all across, there's not one way that it was done. There are multiple ways and that gives us a bit of freedom. But before we jump into that, I want to hear today um, if you could unpack for us what some of the barriers in church planning are in regards to finances, what are the things that church planners come up against when it comes to money? Yeah, that's great, Peyton. Yeah, it's uh, 
obviously just the first thing's a barrier when we say that, right? Like finances, finances in general are a barrier. When we go to plant something or start something new, like there's a financial need, there's a financial aspect um, usually to going and starting something. And Tyler will speak more like specifically on some, maybe what the church planner individually uh, is thinking through. But for me, one of the big things I know in in my own heart, when I went on to, get into support raising a real barrier that I saw created was just in my own heart and viewing um, support raising, just kind of how the world around us views fundraising and, and really looking at it like, man, I'm, I'm, am I just going and asking people to throw money at something I'm passionate about or am I inviting them into something God's doing? And then it's between them and God, if they're going to be a part of it. And so it's this, this, it's a real minute shift, right? And sometimes it might think like it's semantics, but I think it's so pivotal on how us as planters are healthy, mobilizing, not only as we go forward, but the people that we're ministering to. And so just like Jesus says in Matthew 6, you know, um, no one can serve two masters, right? We can't serve God and money. Um, but as you go into support raising, we can be so focused on the money um, that we're not focused on what the Lord's doing and how he's using this and putting people around us. And so I think that's a barrier from the beginning of like, are we literally, um, our finances creating um, a wall between what we're seeing the Lord doing? Um, and yeah. because then we're going to start going, oh, did I ask them the wrong way? Did I say this? How, how did I really communicate that instead of, well, the God who's in control of all things, it's completely up to them if he's bringing people to partner with us, not on that I said something the right way. And so I think that is a huge thing as we start going into this. um, So we don't have that barrier. Um, But then you have barriers like organizationally, or as we look at the church as a whole financial, just in leadership development, like, well, the the church can only develop so many leaders because we don't have the finances, right? We're hemmed in, so we can't go and do this. Um, And then the church planner individually uh, might be experiencing, and Tyler will speak more to this, but anxieties or thing like, I I remember many times even for myself, I'd wake up in the morning and I'm not an anxious person. And I'd go, "Uh, okay, how am I going to provide for the wife and kids uh, today when we're about 80% and we need this much left? And um, that's creating whole barriers to how I love the church and love my wife and kids. Cause now I have all this. And so, um, so yeah, so there's a lot in there, but Tyler, um, you want to talk on the specifics that we see? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think even just to speak to you at that point of what CJ brought up, like the reason why the finance itself can be just that first initial barrier is because I, all of us as planters and pastors and anyone who's listening, like we recognize we have families typically, or we have responsibilities to, to pay out. And how do we, how do we do this? You know, George Barna group a few years back did a, did some research and data on this with thriving financial and essentially saw that the majority of church planners who seven out of 10 at the time were planting in urban contexts or suburban ring contexts, which typically cost a little bit higher to live in or are under resourced communities Um, the majority of those planters are feeling financially insecure and financial insecurity, especially in the U S context in a Western U S context is really hard to move past because, you know, we're inundated such so early on in our formation that, you know, American dream, you need to have this, you need to have this kind of put together. And so then you take this step of faith to plant a church or start a new work in a context that is not going to bring you those realities and you start to question, am I supposed to do this? And am I really called to this? Because it gets really, really hard. I mean, even Peyton, what you were saying about that, about, you know, your experience there, it's like, what do I do now? And so I think, I think the financial insecurity for the individual planter is a barrier to leadership development because your mind is now not, not on multiplication. Your mind is now not on gospel saturation. Your mind is now on the pragmatic dollars and cents. And then support raising turns into... I just got to contact 20 big churches or organizations who can fund everything. That's the most efficient way to do that. And so it can provide a lot of barriers to exactly what, how you open it up, Peyton. What is the biblical model for this? Like, how are we supposed to do this according to God's word? If we're people of a book, <laughs> people created by this book, like how do we, how do we then go out and actually do this in the proper way? Hey, CJ uh, and, and Tyler, let me ask you, uh, you know, because I, I think um, the reality is um, for s- certain planters that come from a, a certain cultural background, uh, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who are listening that um, 
are working with immigrant church planters. Um, you know, the idea of asking money, raising funds, uh, can be an awkward thing, uh, depending on the culture that you come from. Uh, are you seeing that with the planters that you're working with? How do you work through some of those insecurities? Um, especially if they're having to raise funds from a predominantly non-white culture. Um, you know, how, how do you work through some of those uh, challenges? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And because we have seen as people step into different cultures, the way it's viewed is completely different uh, of just exactly what you said. And so um, I think giving them um, a realization of like, you need to have a firm foundation of you have convictions of why you're doing what you're doing before you even step into inviting someone in. Um, but then allowing and realizing when they're inviting that those people into partnership. That, that you can you can talk about it in a different way. I think that that word is key, though, for us, at least for me, is the word partnership. Um, and so when we're looking at, since we're all under, you know, we're in so many differences, but we're, we're going to all be with Jesus one day, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so if we're coming together to reach um, people by showing and sharing the gospel, um, when Paul talks about in Philippians that he was so thankful for them for their partnership in the gospel in the first chapter. I think that communicating that for people, um, as we've had people that have come out of minority contexts or, or harder, you know, areas, um, or view finances even differently in different cultures. Um, that's been pivotal for them to be able to step into that and communicate that to people of saying, Hey, I'm, I'm inviting you in. And this is partnership. Like this is something different um, than, than just funds and giving money. And so you're kind of having to change a whole paradigm shift and a belief. Um, one of the things that I would always communicate was, I don't know if you guys are familiar with William Carey, but you remember him, one of the early missionaries to India. And, and, so, and so just when Andrew Fuller asked him after meeting one night at the house, he was like, hey, we need someone to go and, and down there. And William Carey said, I'll go into the pit if you hold the ropes. And so that's the whole mentality that we're communicating to people is you're just as important to the mission of God as I am. And I think that's a huge barrier as planters is going, are we viewing people as important to the mission of God as I am? And so when we go in and invite them in, um, it's going to communicate that. Yeah. It doesn't speak specifically to how do I handle this specific culture, um, Daniel, I know, but I think that's kind of, if the planter has a right paradigm of why they're doing what they're doing, they can step into those unique contexts and going, okay, I know this is how finances are usually viewed in my culture, but yeah. this is what I'm going to communicate. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that because usually behind some kind of financial insecurity is some some idol or some uh, construed way of thinking about finances and money. It's yeah. so I think if you're helping the planter to think through that disciple, their own community, uh, you, you're doing more than just fundraising. You're actually, it's a discipleship process that you're taking them through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah great. I think, that's really, I think that's so helpful. Sorry, Tyler, go ahead. Oh no, no. Yeah. I'm sorry, Peyton. I was just going to say, you know, to that point and taking exactly what CJ said and what you said, Daniel, to, the practical, the majority of our partner team when we were planting was was South Indian and was a part mm. of that culture and context. Now, granted, I am white, so uh, the other half of me, my wife, is South Asian. But the majority mm. of our contexts and contacts when we were building a partner team were from the mm. South Asian community. It was hard. I will not front. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it was not an easy task whatsoever. Um, but I think exactly what you said, Daniel. Uh, I think to, to button that up was I really began to help. I, the Lord helped shift my mind and paradigm of this is the start of discipleship, like with this, with this community. Um, I need to see money differently. They need to see money differently. We need to see how money and God's economy is different than the way that we think about it. Um, because yeah, there are different levels depending upon ethnicity and culture um, there's different levels of idolatry behind the way that we view it and how we're serving money versus serving God. It's a tall order, but I think it's a beneficial and a fruitful one. Um, and it, at least it was in, on my end to be able to see, you know, my brothers and sisters from another culture that struggled particularly with kind of honor, shame when it comes to finances, partner with me mm. in that way and partner with our ministry. It was really incredible to see, you know, a lot of that wow. stuff not for them. I, I love that you bring up the, the, you know, multicultural approaches because, you know, there, there is um, definitely a, a sense in which I think some of this stuff is timeless and global. 
like our struggle with finances, you know, and asking for money has to be a, a universal thing. But but the the barriers to it may change when you move around yeah. because of the different, like you said, shame culture, honor culture. Um, really interestingly enough, I read um, N.T. Wright uh, in his biography of Paul. He talks about that when Paul in Second Corinthians uh, has that prolonged section on giving, he mentions that it may be some of the most labored Greek that Paul ever penned. And so even though he's got this, what we would think very bold approach to finances, um, it seems like he's struggling a bit. And when I read that, I was like, okay, I'm liberated. This is fantastic, right? Because uh, we struggle so much with the idea of money. And, you know, I'm terrible. I'm like the worst guy at monetizing. I come back from the mission field and I would preach. And they would, I would get out of the pulpit and my mission board like, dude, you didn't ask for anything. I'd be like, oh, I, I'll just trust God, you know. And uh, what I didn't tell was um, somebody just this past week, I was on a ministry trip. Someone who knew me for the last 20 something years pulled up a picture of me when I came home from the mission field in the first year. And uh, during that 9-11 thing, <laughs> yeah, they show and the, their kids are now teenagers and are like, that's you? I'm uber thin and i was in southern california and everybody was like what's your diet secret because it's southern california and i would say oh i don't eat and they would laugh you know and and they said no no really what what are you doing and i'm like i'm not eating and you know that that and yet still i didn't i didn't know how to ask for money and um so that you know it's so important when you talk about this but um what are, what are, besides the attitude, um, that's a cosmic shift for people. I think like Daniel said, you, you, you start saying, well, you know, I, I'm ministering to you. I'm actually partnering with you. The guy who headed my mission board was a frustrated missionary for various reasons. All his life, he wanted to go to the mission field for various reasons. He was held back. And what I got to see up close was he was living vicariously through me. Right. And I think there are many, many people that want to extend their reach. And so as we begin to see that, well, wait a second, there are people that they're not going, but they, they can fund and still feel I am a part of world mission. And there's something in them intrinsically that needs that. What are some other shifts that planners need to make besides just how they view the donor? And that's, um, that's a great question. Um, I think, um, and Tyler touched on this a little, and even Daniel speaking about with discipleship mode, um, because one of the things that we actually call support raising is ministry team development. And so when you're going out, you're like, this is ministry, like in so many ways, like you're not only being developed yourself, all those people you're inviting in are being developed. So we need to view it as ministry. Number one, like it is, this isn't a means to an end. I think that is a huge thing as well. Like I just got to do this thing so I can go actually do the big plant, you know? Well, what you're going to need, depending on your missional model um, and how long, you know, we can all make our prospectus and our budget of like, Hey, we'll be self-sustained in three to five years. And well, and what we might be seeing in the pandemic or some things, maybe we need longer on ramps um, also uh, for planting. And if we're supported outside of the context Um, that we're reaching, uh, as long as that's there and we have a team of people around us, your length and sustainability can be ongoing. You're not dependent on what's happening to the people you're reaching. Um, So that might even be a big shift when we talk about models of planting, like funding models, you know, the big maybe sending church or the denomination, that might be dwindling as well. Like those are great ways to plant and, and always, but maybe we shouldn't just depend on one source. Or, you know, if we're looking at, um, and as a planter, I think Tyler and I both see this, like, you kind of need it all. <laughs> you kind of need, you know, we need some obviously large donors and that small recurring giving. Um, but depending on your funding, your funding model should match your missional model is what we kind of see. So if you are missional community building out relationally out into, you're going to need a long on-ramp because if you're reaching new people, well, what do new people not know what to do? give and be generous and tie. And so we need to disciple these people and allow time for us to show and share the gospel, people to grow in that um, instead of going, Hey, this is the way we're planting, but yet we need all this funds right now by, you know, 500,000 to a million dollars 
to, to just be able to ongoing, well, what happens when all those funds run out and the church isn't sustaining? Um, and that's a, that's a question that I think we need to ask. Um, and also we probably need much more funds than we're actually thinking because 500,000 upfront doesn't go as far as we think it does, um, in the long run. Yeah. Um, especially in, in what we're seeing when we're talking about practicals. So, yeah, I think it's really important too, for the planter to think about their multiplication rate or their desired multiplication rate. Yeah. Because if so much of their resources that are incoming are just about, um, I don't like saying it this way, but I don't have a better way right now. So bear with me, but funding the beast, meaning that no matter what context you're in, if you're in an under-resourced community, if you're in an over-resourced community or whatever that looks like, you want to look like a predominantly white evangelical suburban context. Like that's in my mind kind of funding the beast because not all planters can plant that or should plant that. Um, because their contexts don't demand it. And what that does is, I think, in the same way that denominational funding and stuff are affected by downward economic pressure, I think that multiplication rates are affected in the same exact way. <laughs> if there's downward economic pressure, then leadership development and multiplication slows way down. And um, I think support raising, especially this biblical model that you know we are so passionate about, about training and coaching folks with, um, building a ministry team of having a having a brother in Christ jump on your team at five dollars a month. What that allows you to do is it allows you to develop more leaders because now I get to bring alongside, which is exactly what we get what we, what we got to do in our context. We got to bring alongside a believer that I was discipling and said, "Hey, you know, he rose his hand. I feel called to ministry. What should I do?" And I was like, "All right, let's keep walking together. But uh, here, let's train you and coach you on how to raise support um, so that you are not." Uh, beholden upon our budgetary issues or different things like that, but we can keep moving in this area and keep the gospel going. And so I think that I think that's another paradigm shift that needs to move is not only discerning what is the multiplication rate you're wanting to have, but uh, exactly to what CJ was saying, our funding models so often do not match our missional models. And I think we have to have a hard conversation with ourselves as planters and pastors to recognize that of course I want the financial security of what that looks like, whatever that is for them. But what has God called me to? If he's called me to a multiplying movement of micro churches, I probably need to think about raising support from outside the context and seasons of tent making to make that a reality because there's just not going to be a big central funding that's, that's there. And that's good, Tyler, because funding, uh, real quick, Dan, funding will, dic- it'll, it'll go the other way around like how we can have a culture in a church and strategy. We can have all this strategy and vision, but culture will, you know, basically die those out. That's the same with this. Whatever your funding is happening or what you're dependent on that, it'll override your philosophy or your mission model if you're so focused in needing finances to move forward. So. I, I really, I want to dig into that a little bit more because I think you're getting into something that um, I, for a lot of church planters, uh, initially, when you're in the early stages of fundraising, you're thinking primarily salary or something along those lines, you know, maybe even, uh, you know, financial stability for the church, funding ministries and stuff like that. Uh, I, I love what you said, Tyler, about, you know, basically about around infrastructure. Um, can, can you help uh, speak to church planting leaders, those who lead church planters, those who are helping church planters better understand how to cast a vision? How, how do you talk about finances that um, is not so surrounded, uh, the salary, facilities, rental, you know, but how does that translate directly to multiplicative systems, discipleship systems, um, and then obviously people engagement, you know, that's, um, but I, I, I find that a lot of people have a hard time helping church planters learn a new vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and so we default to, I'm raising funds cause I need $50,000 a year to survive and those kinds of things. So can you speak to that? Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question. I think I'm learning forward in a lot of this stuff and learning from a lot of planters that I'm talking with um, through Reliant and through different things like that. I know CJ is as well, but so far what I'm hearing back from them, what's needed is um, Peyton used this word, some liberation from paradigms that are causing us not to be able to build that new vocabulary. You know, it's like, 
watching my eight month old twins, the barrier for them saying dad and mom first is going to be the fact that they got to get over babbling, right? They got to get over the dad, 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 mom, 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 you know, once they kind of get over that little building block of speech, then they're going to be able to start talking a little bit more fluidly. And I think for church planters, that can be similar. And for me, what I've just the simple ability to ask a question of, Hey, what does your context need from you to stay healthy long-term? Like, forget about all the noise. Forget about, I know that sounds crazy. Forget about the books for a second. Forget about those things. In you and your prayer closet with the Holy Spirit, and you're talking with him, what is needed for you and your family to stay in this context uh, sustaining? And for some, it's they need a co-vocational reality. For some others, it's, all right, I need 40 partners a month at $100 a month on average. And that feels way less burdensome than a million dollars over five years. <laughs> um, and so I think, I think to answer your question more on the nose, Daniel, I think what has helped me building that vocabulary with some planters is just asking the honest and hard questions of what's needed, you know, and, and honestly ask, I've asked a few planters. I was like, are you planting your church? Or are you planting another church? Um, what church are you planting right now? Because if you're planting another church, then I, for me, success rates just drop big time at that point because God specifically called you as the planter for that context, for that time, and for that season. So I hope that was a clear answer. I'm not sure if CJ has something else to talk about, on that, but I think that's a great question. No, I, yeah, I thought that was great. And I, I was actually thinking a little bit of what one of the things planters can do just in general for their congregation and to open up those things. And it was kind of, Peyton, something you spoke to of where I just didn't ask. Like I, did, I couldn't talk to people. I think we need to communicate the need and, and really put it out there and, and put it before people and allow God to move in their hearts as well. And so if we're not communicating the need, then how will we ever expect people to move or, or be moved? And so one of the things early on in our church plant, what I would do is communicate. We had a whole partner team supporting us and still saying, Hey, to the, to the core team that we have and all those things, Hey, these people are supporting us out there and almost are supporting us in a way, um, that that we felt more supported by them than the core team, which was an interesting thing. But wanting to put that before the people in our body going, do you see all the people kind of like Paul, you know, you spoke in Corinthians a little bit, Peyton, but like how he's saying, do you see what the Macedonians are doing? Like how they're just here and he's putting it before the Corinthian church. And that chapter eight, and nine is like a support letter, basically. You know, I mean, it's he's putting before them like this is what we're to do and agonizing over that. And so I think communicating those avenues and creating um, the need for people to be able to go, yeah, this is, this is something different. Am I stepping into generosity? Am I um, those ways and being um, kind of back to the whole discipleship talk, but I think creating that Avenue. I I think too, even as you were mentioning something, CJ, to, to bring on another thought that came to my mind, Daniel, when you were asking, you know, what do church planting leaders do? What do network leaders potentially do and think about, I think, moving beyond the everything is kind of created in the in the single image to if we really want to see gospel saturation we have to meet meet planters where they are meet planters where their callings are where their giftings are and the funding models i i believe need to match those realities because um you know a couple of under-resourced planters that i've talked with um just unburdening them from hey you don't need to think about a five-year million dollar budget right now what you need to think about is what do you and your family need in this moment to stay healthy and sustaining and mobilized in this context? And let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's, let's train and coach around that. I think if we can get there, it's hard. I know that. Um, I recognize that, but I, I think if we can move in that direction, I think paradigms will shift. I think vocabulary will shift. And I think as CJ was saying, I think uh, planters and, and networks will start feeling that affection and, and partnership from all sorts of generous partners who are, who are coming along with them. So, you know, before we start taking questions from the chat um, and, you know, by all means, uh, those of you in the chat, keep dropping your comments, your uh, questions in, but um, what are some specific ways? Cause I know people are watching this and they're wondering um, what, you know, these guys know a lot about this. They've obviously got experience and, um, but what specifically do you do? What does Reliant provide as far as training and coaching and support raising? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Peyton. Um, one of the, there's two ways that we serve church planners specifically. And one is um, really the best option if you're coming out and church planting residents, uh, maybe not have 
a bank account set up, just the practicals of receiving funds in all those ways. And that's actually to come employed, be employed through Reliant. Um, all gift processing happens through Reliant. Reliant provides employment services uh, on the back end, all those things. Great. It was great for my family to have really good health insurance with all my wife's uh, health risks and those kind of things early days and not having to worry about managing all that stuff and the payroll in the early days. That was a gift uh, for us. So <laughs> to just focus on the mission that God's put before us. Um, so that's one way of, of coming on that we partner with uh, local churches and gospel center nonprofits. The other way is something we've just been able to create is where we want to offer training and coaching for church planners that don't need the employment services. And it's been a big passion of mine and just seeing how can we do that? Cause even through residencies and some things, this might be a piece where you get a touched on like, yeah, you need to go ask for funds, but they don't have true training and equipping on how to do it. And so uh, we literally have just been able to launch our first training and equipping for church planters uh, through the, through support raising. And it's starting in February, 2021 is our first class. Um, but what we do is we offer um, three months of coaching and a two-day training that goes through biblical foundations of support raising. Um, what should you actually be saying when you invite people in in a presentation? Like, how do I do that? What are the platforms I need to have in place for giving? Um, what are some things I can have in place? Basically, a data management system for as you're caring for this ministry team. Um, then also how to cultivate your team, because that's how you sustain healthy long-term mobilization uh, for gas gospel saturation, which was what we desire from this program is how do you cultivate that team? Because you're gonna, this is a big way how you're gonna view it is if you just get the money from someone and you are not keeping in touch with them, you're not updating them, maybe you are viewing this as transactional and not a partnership. And so how do you continue to care for that team? And so those are the things that we offer in the coaching program um, and all of that. And so we actually, uh, just before we got on, we were able to get the application up live <laughs> for people to jump on and go through that. And, and hopefully it's a way to serve sending churches um, to be able to send well as well. Like how, how can we add this on to maybe some residencies that we're doing to serve planters um, to create long-term sustainability, so. Uh, so if, if a planter was interested in joining Reliant, what, what's their relationship and commitment to Reliant versus a network or a denomination? How does that all work out? Yeah, that's great. Um, so if you were to come on and raise support through Reliant, so that first option, like, yes, I, I, you know, I want to raise funds through Reliant. Um, re the way it works is we partner with the local church or ministry, and it's not like a legally binding contract, but basically you're employed through Reliant but you're assigned to your local church or ministry. So you actually receive like a W-2 like you would, you know, at a, a normal place. And uh, the IRS sees you as an employee of Reliant, but yet you're assigned to your church. You're on staff at your church. That, that's what you're doing. So we come together um, and just partner together to, to be able to do that. So there's no authority or anything of that, but you have, that's where your employment is seen. And so you guys handle, you guys handle all the payroll, all of the, you know, oh. reporting taxes, yada, yada. Stuff. Yep. yep. Does the minister, so when the minister is employed by you, how does it work with their not, you know, their um, self-employed status, say for like housing allowance? How do they swing that? Well, we're able to do so like I'm a commission minister. And so we're able to have uh, parsonage and all that thing through Reliant. They take care of all of that. Very cool. It's, oh yeah. That's a wow. huge gift to us. Our gift services and employment services team are amazing. And Tyler wow. knows because handling all that stuff of ordination, all those stuff. Just, yeah. Thanks a you. lot. So, so normally you've got to go to different organizations. Like you need to hire a payroll company, right. you know, you need to hire an online giving platform. You need to hire um, someone who's going to handle uh, if you're starting up a church, like some kind of workman's comp insurances, all that kind of, is this kind of like a one-stop shop? And and this is honest question because I actually don't know. So, you know, this isn't like, Hey, say, tell me more about that CJ. You know, I mean, literally, you know, you are one of our sponsors, but I'm asking this because I'm hearing this. I'm like, I haven't heard this before. This is kind of yeah. cool. Well, and we literally, yeah, exactly what you said. It literally is. And so in the early days of planting, um, it really frees up. Now I still, and that's one thing that Tyler and I are really passionate about is training guys on what do you need set up in the early days of planting? Like, you still need a place to, to receive tithe and offering, those kind of things. How are you managing your finances? Because a lot about budget speaks to a lot about your mission. So we like to walk through a lot of that stuff, but it is. It, it handles all those things that you don't have to worry about. You literally just take care of the mission. Um, so for me personally, it was a huge advantage uh, to, to be able to have that. But some guys, it's not, a, they're actually, hey, 
I've got all this set up. I've got a payroll thing already good. My sending church set it up. Or, and so that's where we want to come in with the other thing of saying, hey, maybe we can train and equip you. And that piece is still beneficial and will serve you. But yeah. And I will say a piece, I, I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of this, but residencies have been such a big thing uh, lately. And I think they're really great. This frees up the church to do residencies and not have to handle all the payroll and house and all those things and allow the residents to raise support. And it actually is a great thing because as a planter, if you've already done a church plant residency and you have a whole support base, well, when you get sent out, that's one of the things Tyler and I love to coach on is yeah. you should already be looking long-term when you're doing a residency. So when you, yes. you're good to go. And so. So when, when I went, when I left that mega church, our denomination, it was, it was Calvary Chapel back in the day, right? So imagine, imagine the shift going from a Calvary Chapel to Martin Lloyd-Jones' Presbyterian <laughs> church, right? Um, we were a reformed Calvary Chapel, so we, we, we weren't like, uh, I guess it'd be like the difference between Republicans and, and, and Trumpers, right? Like they're not always the same animal, but you know, we're all Christians. And, 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 and I was able to seamlessly go across to that denomination, but in the UK, they had no money. So, but, but then from my denomination, it was a bunch of hippies, right? So they were always like, we're God guides. He provides man. Like that was their (laughs) fundraising strategy. So, and I can remember, you know, kind of being in that church going, huh? I've seen missionaries drop like that. And it usually a missionary had a two year trajectory. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's going to work over there. So, you know, even in my own ignorance, that's why I founded my own nonprofit uh, mission funding agency because of that very thing that I could see that if I need something that's going to go the distance, it needs to be independent of a church. I, I think Peyton froze up there. I froze up. Sorry. No, all right, you're I back. needed <laughs> all of you were frozen. I don't know what's wrong with you. I was fine. <laughs> but um but I needed something that was gonna be independent of a board meeting where one night arbitrarily five guys that didn't really know me made a decision and said, Ah, we're gonna cut this guy loose. We're not getting enough newsletters from him or whatever it was. I needed something with stability. That wasn't a question I know, but I figured you guys could yeah. jump on that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. That's absolutely. And that's, that's a great thought of, yeah, if I'm, if I'm sustained from this in this whole way, then it, you know, back to that whole thought of William Carey, like I have people holding the ropes. Yeah. And so we're able to just yeah. continue the mission God's called us to, as long as I feel he's asking me to be faithful in that. So they can go directly from the residency. Here's, here's kind of the punchline, right? They can go directly from the residency straight to uh, whatever next mission seamlessly seamless. without having oh, so good. If you're already raising support through Reliant, it is literally seamlessly. We just, cause that's exactly what I did when we came on. Like, okay, but while we were there, so the stone, we did it all in house at the church. And then we saw how, well, they joined with Reliant. And then, so it's, yeah, it creates just, man, we're good to go. We don't have to start all these other things. And so, yeah, that's great. Hey, we've got a couple of questions rolling in here. I know we're running short on time, but uh, real quick. Uh, first of all, somebody said how awesome all of this looks. Uh, I think I think what you've talked about, but also the website. Um, they're also wondering uh, what's the cost to this partnership if you're the planter or if you're, let's say, the sending church that wants to partner with Reliant. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I'll give two things. If you were going to come on with Reliant, and, and raise support through that. And then I'll give the cost of the program that we're doing just training and equipping uh, for planters. Um, so there is an admin cost when you come on just to, you know, handle all the offices, all the gift services, all the processing and those things. Uh, and we actually, um, it's a two percentage points. And the first one is it's a 12% um, cost for any individual gift that comes in. Um, so if someone's partnering hundred dollars a month, every hundred dollars that comes in, there's the $12 off that, but each, um, missionary, each church planner is allowed one sending, one sponsor church uh, that we say, and that's at a 3% uh, cost. And so usually planters have a sending church or some church um, partnering with them in, in a significant way. And so like for myself, the average really came out to about nine, 10% um, is what we see. If you have that one sponsor church um, that, that can go to that. Uh, the church planning program for training and equipping uh, it's just a one-time cost of $1,200 for the three months coaching. 
and two-day training. So it's a full two-day training. Then you get three months coaching uh, with a church planner that's raised support before um, and been through this. And it's Tyler and I leading out in cohort style uh, that program. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I think that's really, uh, really helpful. If you were a part of a church planning team, is there a possibility where the entire team could come on as missionaries as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Daniel. So I literally was working with a guy that was planning in Wichita Falls uh, last year, Texas, and from his sending church was able to bring two other people, already a college director and another associate that said, hey, we're going to raise support and come with you. And they plant with the whole team. And, and, and they're all funded. Tyler was actually coaching one of them and, and the whole team is now funded, good to go. And seeing in the midst of the pandemic is when they actually launched and they're seeing the Lord. Yeah, just pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. That's the thing when we talk about the pandemic as well, and we haven't really talked about that, which we don't necessarily have to, but this creates sustainability in so many other ways that maybe churches aren't able to partner in large ways anymore. Um, and, and this kind of just allows mobility and moving. And even back when we look at the recession in like 07, 08, when people are partnering with you on a small monthly recurring, um, it's less likely to have drop off just on a practical sense. And so that's just, sorry, whole another piece. <laughs> well, that's great. Hey, I know we're running short on time, but uh, I'd love to ask you one last question uh, before we let you go and, and wrap up here. But what have you seen over uh, you know, your years at Reliant and also just in church planting, how uh, fundraising leads to leadership development, multiplication? Uh, we talked about you know, how uh, fundraising is a bit of a discipleship process, but how can we be intentional about using fundraising, not just to collect funds, but to develop leaders for the future? That's a great question. Uh, I'll, I'll go quick, Tyler, if you have something to hop on. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, Daniel, one of the great things when we first look at and ask, like we go back to the beginning when we talked about barriers, even if a church was saying, hey, finances aren't a barrier for us. I think we're doing everything we need to well, what would you be able to do if there was more financial resources? Um, could you bring more people on? Um, and especially that talk about residencies or utilizing that, because if you have someone that says, hey, I feel the Lord calling me into ministry. Well, what did Jesus do with his disciples? He didn't just meet with them for an hour, you know, after work on a Tuesday. He was, his disciples were with him all the time. And so if we're able to truly have people, so this support raising model frees people up to be able to go, hey, not only am I going to be pouring into you, I'm going to be modeling for you what we're doing, how we're walking. And literally, as Paul said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, follow me as we follow Jesus to create that more time. So yeah. that's yeah. just a piece. I think even as CJ brought up that example of the plants in Wichita Falls, Texas, I mean, just seeing the whole team being planted at the same time, like, Literally launch day, they had three folks on the team, lead pastor, college director, associate, and they're all leading together, not alone, and bringing the gospel to a new context uh, well before the three-year slash five-year you know, sustainability mark that we are kind of taught to aim toward. Um, even in my own experience, uh, we were a year in, and I got to bring on a uh, what we call the resident uh, for two years. He raised support for two years and was with us and able to begin doing, I was able to hand off leadership to him and start to help develop his skills in pastoral work. And we were praying and discerning about church planting for him. And so I think support raising can shift in this way if we start viewing it this way, that it is a part of the discipleship system, not at odds with the discipleship system, which I think so often we can think that money and funding is at odds with the discipleship system and not actually a conduit in which they can work together and release uh, gospel energy together, which is pretty cool to think about. So, yeah. And I'll say one thing real quick on that end. So often I think as church plants, if we want to be a church planting church, uh, we might be, Hey, I got to get to this point before I can do it. Well, if we're thinking outside of the box in this model, well, if the Lord brings a man like that is, you know, Hey, this, this person is able to go plant another church. We see them, you know, God raising them up. Um, well, let's do it. Let, let's go ahead. You Let's send you. We don't need all these funds as a young church plant to be able to send you. This is a way of sending you. Um, and that creates just, I think, greater impact for the kingdom as we think about it. And so, 
Well, hey, hey, we really appreciate you guys being on. Uh, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. And uh, really, I think one of the things as we're looking to the post-pandemic uh, church planning situation is finding not just more innovative ways to, uh, to, to find funds, but to actually teach church planters how to build the systems and processes as they're planting. Um, you know, residencies, internships, and then developing leaders out of that. And so that last tidbit that you shared, CJ, I think is huge and it's great. So uh, Payne Jones, why don't you take it away and uh, wrap up our, our time today? All right, guys. Well, hey, there's still time to get in on the roundtables that actually uh, roll this week. And Exponential has been holding the door open for $29 because they love you and they have a plan for your life. And that is basically that you would come to these in over 100 cities across America with a unique uh, split of speakers that are chosen by your local leaders. So it's going to have a very local feel. We're hoping that you'll come join and carry on the conversations about diversity. Uh, We've already talked uh, on this call to reach every tongue, tribe, and nation. It will take every tongue, tribe, and nation. You can go to multiplication.org slash roundtables. In fact, uh, next week I'll be hosting, uh, actually this week I'll be hosting one on Wednesday, uh, facilitating one of the roundtables with some of my coworkers. So we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great deal of fun. And uh, don't forget to sign up before it's too late and you miss them. So uh, again, that's multiplication.org forward slash roundtables. And you can also get group discounts. So don't forget that. Groups of 510, you get a cheaper price. And 29 bucks is already, uh, that's pretty cheap to begin with. So uh, you'll see uh, Daniel Yang's boss uh, on there. So be sure to go and tell him what a good job he's doing because I got him in a lot of trouble on a couple of these calls. So, all right. Well, guys, uh, thanks for joining us today. This has been Peyton Jones. And no, I didn't get Daniel into trouble. Actually, Ed endorsed my book coming out. So I got that news today. So whoop, whoop. And I think you might have had something to do with that. (laughs) So, all right, guys. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been Frontlines. I'm Peyton Jones. Uh, My fellow co-host here is Daniel Yang. And uh, we've been here with CJ White and Tyler Ballou from Reliant. Be sure to check them out. You can find the link down below. And we'll talk to you guys soon on next week's episode of Frontlines. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.